That's their dream, but we have our dreams. Let's make our dreams come true. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, listeners. Thank you all for tuning into the That's Their Dream podcast. I have a special guest joining me that I met while having a work session with a few other girls. And we just told her to come over and join us, and we've been connected ever since. I'm so glad that we met, and she is so warm-hearted, has a big smile that brightens up your day. And I just want to say thank you, Ashley, for joining me. Oh, thank you, Sydney. I'm excited to be on. (laughs) Yes. So can you start by telling everyone who is listening what you do for a living and what that all entails? Yes. So I am an urban planner uh, that's uh, usually related to city planning specifically, uh, but I specialize in housing, uh, specifically affordable housing development. But I have a number of other kind of focuses and specialties under urban planning, uh, like community development, um, uh, facilitation or um, And also I've been interested in a lot of environmental kind of work. So even though housing is my number one focus, I hop around within urban planning uh, as a profession. And what urban planning is, is basically looking to the future, thinking about our built environments, uh, our cities, our communities, and what it is that we'd like as a community to build or develop Uh, to improve or to uh, serve the community that'll be here 10, 20, or even like 50 years from now. Uh, So all of the built environment and the systems that make our cities work, there are urban planners that work in the private sector, uh, the public sector, and we work together to uh, listen to residents to find out what are those things that you want in your community and how can we build or put resources toward creating that for you. Wow. You know, I didn't even know that, um, you know, you do all that, actually. I thought you just worked in affordable housing, but that's cool that you work also in community development. Yeah, I have a lot of different specialties, uh, especially like health uh, and housing. When I started working at urban planning and regional urban planning in Chicago, I hopped around to get a feel for what are the things that I like. And that's what I've been doing for like the past 10 years, kind of working in the private sector, designing uh, housing and different types of projects, and also like working in the public sector and for universities. So yeah, I've hopped around a lot within the profession to find out what I like. I mean, that helps you a lot with understanding everything that goes on and how, you know, you said you're pretty much planning for the future, Mm -hmm. 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line. So like you got to see where you've been seeing all the different aspects and how Mm -hmm. that all comes about. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the process for like the housing development. I know you're talking about affordable Mm -hmm. housing. So how does that work on the back end side? Yeah, so typically there's some kind of demand for housing. And right now that demand is so high. Um, And you know this, Sydney, it's either an individual wants to build maybe their own home or they want to build an investment home or a developer wants to develop multiple homes, whether that be like single family homes or multifamily, kind of like apartments, rental style. 
So typically there's some kind of demand there and um, funding, whether it's an individual making their own investment to purchase this home or uh, there's a city or organization that's like, hey, we want to put forth some money to acquire land, to acquire a building. Um, and then if it's land, we particularly look at that as new development. And if it's um, acquiring an existing home and renovating it and selling it, we look at that as preservation. Uh, so typically acquiring uh, a home or land and then getting the funding to develop that land um, and finding some sort of uh, construction group uh, to, to actually do what you need to do and close out and sell or close out and, and live in it. So I could definitely get into uh, any parts uh, specifically about ho um, housing development, but I know that we probably will get into that a little bit later. Yeah, definitely. I want to get into that. So like, what would a developer need to provide to the city to get like the ball rolling on their project? Yeah, so there are urban planners that work in the city's planning department. And there's typically sometimes in that planning department, like a zoning department or permitting department. So the first thing that I would do uh, as a developer is think about what kind of housing development you want to do. So single family development is kind of much more low stakes than multifamily. Of course, because it'll cost less for you to build one home versus a duplex or renovating a duplex or something like that. Like decide what kind of housing you wanna build. And then um, think about the estimated cost of that and the design. So if you're building new, um, you may want to find an, a planner or an architect who could actually lay out what it is that you're thinking. So um, you, the planning department specifically knows all the zoning codes and the requirements, but all of that is public knowledge as well. So you, if you identify a lot, say on your block and you're like, hey, I wanna develop a house. I wanna develop a duplex here you can look at a map of your city that's all available online and then say, hey, you know, the city owns this lot right here, or, you know, uh, somebody might wanna sell this lot or it may be in the land bank or something like that. And on this lot, you can look and see what are the requirements to develop in the zoning code. If you could develop, um, three stories high, if you could develop a commercial with residential. So every city has its own requirements based on where you wanna build. You find out those requirements, you find out what you wanna design and how you wanna design it. Um, and then you make a proposal to that city staff and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. You know, Do you have resources to help me build something like this? Uh, and does this fit the laws within the zoning code? So it's really all conceptual at first. And even if you don't get it right the first time, city staff will be willing to work with you and be like, hey, you know, you can't build this, but maybe you can build that. Okay. Okay. So pretty much you can do your own research and stuff like that, but it's also <laughs> good to, you know, maybe have a planner on your side or like an architect or someone mm -hmm. 
to just help you along those lines, especially with like zoning and permits and all of that kind of stuff. And then from there, create a plan yep. is what you said, yep. and then present it. Yep. That's exactly, that's exactly right, Sydney. Perfect. So like, what would be the average time, like, you know, for, from beginning to end? Yeah, that truly, okay, it varies, but I can definitely give you a general time frame. So for single family development, I would say from beginning to end, you may be looking at a process of about uh, maybe a year or a year and a half. And I say that because of the weather, like depending on where you're developing, uh, if you know you don't want to be outside in the winter, it's kind of impossible, you know, like yeah. building the house <laughs> out in the winter. So you know, when you're thinking about proposing this, it may take like a month and a half to two months to just get through and get your idea in front of city staff, get you know them to look at your idea, say yes, this is fine, you can build this here, and then it may take about two to three more months to just get the permitting, to get your design solid, and to secure any funding that you need. So pretty much the first six months of any project is, you know, getting through those loops, getting the design, getting the permitting. And then once you're set to go, you may need, you know, three to six months for construction based on um, when you actually get the go ahead. So time is money. And, you know, usually people don't hit the go button on uh, the development funding requests until they know, okay, we got the okay and we have the people to build and renovate this home. And multifamily development is a lot more complicated. Right now, um, I'm working at the Metropolitan Council as a um, a planner, a housing planner there, and I fund multifamily and single family developments. And it's taking around two to three years for uh, development teams to actually propose and complete a development. And then because of rising construction costs, they're coming back and asking for more money. So it's oh a gosh. really tough landscape. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, especially with inflation and stuff like that. So that would bring up the cost a lot. Like something that you got a proposal on or got the funding from last year, it could be completely different this year, you know? Yep, so. that's right. <laughs> so then like how much money do you need as a developer? Like say we're talking about like a single family home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the, the best way that I could explain this is that a lot of us can maybe relate to is the investment home process of buying a home and selling a home is very similar to you buying your own home, except they're looking at whether or not you as a developer and you as the LLC that you created or something like that. Because I do recommend if you want to develop a home, first create some sort of entity that separates yourself from that property. You know, if something goes wrong, you don't want it to come back on your finances. And then if you're looking for funding um, to like you, you want to go to a bank or something like that, like similar to an individual getting a mortgage, you would have to prove that that entity or 
for you has the income to actually support that development. So if you create an LLC, they're going to want to know, they're going to want to have two years of tax returns to say, hey, we can give this LLC money to develop this home. But if you're doing it under your name and you, you are the uh, funder of the project, it really depends on where you choose to develop. So I'm from the city of Detroit. Stakes are really low. You could get a, a lot for, you know, five, ten thousand $10,000 and then build from there. But here in Minneapolis, oof, getting a lot or getting a home is a lot of money. So it depends on where you want to develop and the cost of acquiring whatever home is your cost. So for example, I'll use Detroit. Uh, I bought my home for $87,000. It was a four bedroom, two uh, bathroom house. Yes, That's crazy, crazy right? Wow. Crazy, four <laughs> bedroom, two bathroom house, beautiful on the east side of Detroit, uh, close to the Detroit River. And I put $50,000 into that house over the course of maybe three years. And now it's valued to sell at about 200,000. So you could imagine as an investor. Yeah. So that's what, you know, as an investor, that's your return right there, you know, and I had maybe a five, uh, five to $6,000 down payment on 90,000. And that, you know, you, you kind of test the market to see where can you afford to build a city. Okay. So then just jumping into the next topic, like mm -hmm. for a developer, then if they want to, you know, put a housing development, I know mm -hmm. like sometimes, you know, the neighbors or the community might complain and stuff like that. So how mm -hmm. does the city determine um, how that might impact the city and the community? Oh, that is a perfect, perfect question. So depending on how big your proposal is, that's typically how much blowback you'll get. <laughs> and I, if you're building something in your own community and you know it well, then you probably would have a lot less blowback because you have an idea of what folks want in their community. Um, because you live there and you can talk to your neighbors and stuff like that. Uh, but if it's a community you don't know that well, then you may want to talk to uh, whoever uh, are the major stakeholders in that community. And uh, city staff, a lot of times, like city planning staff, they'll know uh, in a particular community what organizations exist. Google is always your friend. Like, hey, what organizations exist, you know, in this particular neighborhood? And they have done extensive amount of work, usually, you know, asking community members what they want to see, what type of housing they like in their community. Um, and you go from there and you keep that channel of communication open with the organizations uh, of that community and even your own community. Just keep that channel of communication open. If someone has questions about your development, what you're doing, concerns, just be open and able to you know, talk to them about what it is. And if it's really large, you might be required to uh, present in front of city council, uh, like a, um, an apartment building. People might be notified that this is going up. So you might have to present in front of community members and tell them, hey, 
this is my project, this is my idea. Do you have any feedback um, or concerns about this project? So always, you know, be open and uh, try to connect to the community around you. Okay, so then the community would know, like, if it's a big plan that's going on, you know, like an apartment mm -hmm. building or something like that, mm -hmm. it would be like the organizations then who would be telling the community, or you said like a city council meeting, or? Yeah, so there's multiple layers to this. So depending on how big it is, uh, there's actually mailers sent out uh, to people that are within a certain number of feet of what you're trying to do. So they'll get a notification in the mail that says, hey, this person is developing this, you know, commercial, residential, whatever. And they, if you have any concerns, contact us, or there's the city council meeting on this date that you could participate in. And depending on how involved people are in your community, you know, you might have a really active senior citizen group, for example, that <laughs> is going to be there at that meeting, you know, and you basically do your best to <laughs> entertain any questions, anticipate what they might say. Uh, and uh, there are people like city staff that are keeping an eye on what's being proposed and telling organizations, just as you asked, telling organizations, hey, this is coming up in your community. And it'll, it'll you know, sometimes make it to social media, uh, depending on if it's something new and edgy. So any apartment development that happens in the city of Detroit, it's on the news, it's on city websites, it's on Instagram. So you know, getting hopping on there and ask and answering people's questions, um, getting ahead of any press to actually tell people what you're proposing is a good idea. Well, do you have any juicy stories of um, any issues that arise Ooh. with developers and like citizens? Ooh. Every, <laughs> almost every time. I don't think, you know, when it comes to like multifamily development, um, there's always, always, you know, feelings that pop up on next door, you know, people that may support it or be angry on Facebook. Uh, specifically in my career, I've worked as a planner in Detroit, in Chicago, and now in Minneapolis. And the range of community involvement is very different in each of those cities. Uh, there's pretty much nothing that you could do in the city of Detroit without getting blowback. <laughs> um, but that's because people are very active and it's been a lot of historical trauma. Um, so for example, they're uh, in the apartment building that's going up in my neighborhood right now that's being proposed. People feel like what we're calling affordable housing is not affordable. Now, if you were to say, oh, there's a two bedroom going up for $900 in Minneapolis, y'all would be like, what? Where is that apartment? <laughs> yeah. But in Detroit, they like, wait a minute. No, it was $600 two years ago. You know, so that's the type of stuff you kind of got to deal with. Um, and in Chicago, they are very civically minded. They know their aldermen. They, you know, can talk to you about Ram and Lori and who they like and who they don't like. Um, and I've been held to the fire multiple times, depending on what, you know, who I'm representing, whether I'm representing the architect or whether I'm representing local government. People are like, you know, what are your motivations here? Um, 
why aren't you building this instead of this? Uh, so me as a planner, I, I try to understand where the source of their concerns comes from, because a lot of times they're legit. You know, it has been some really horrible things that planners have done to communities, uh, freeways going through communities, mm-hmm. tearing down homes. So these uh, residents are typically coming from a very legit place. So then when that happens, can that like make your proposal, like, can that be rejected then because of the community or does it keep moving forward? They can completely, residents can can completely, residents and stakeholders, you don't even have to live there, can completely derail a project. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how far the plans went. Um, I've had a project in Chicago, or it was a community plan in Chicago that included like housing, transportation, a whole bunch of things. Uh, in Pilsen and in Little Village, which is on the west side of Chicago, um, and there's a lot of people of uh, that identify as Hispanic or Latino, and prices were rising, and people were, you know, moving from downtown to Pilsen Little Village and displacing people. And they got angry and they said, no, no more. And every meeting that we had, similar thing happened in Detroit. Every meeting that we had, they were there. They, you know, were there on the mic. They let their city council members know, no, do not approve this project. And that is what completely can derail any project. If you don't have... um, city council support for a larger project, if there's bad press and you need to get approval to do this, uh, you need any type of special accommodations that isn't in the zoning code. So that's the differentiator. If what you're proposing is perfectly fine in the zoning code. So the zoning code says you could develop one house here, two stories, this, this, that, right? And that's what you're proposing and people hate it, it doesn't matter. It moves forward because the law says you can develop that here. But what typically happens is you need something. You know, the zoning code doesn't allow for you to develop a a garage or the zoning code doesn't allow you to develop this house in this historic area. So you need approval. And that's where it gets murky and your project can get derailed. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, pretty much if it's, you know, you're permitted to do that based off of zoning, then it's all mm-hmm. good, but most yep. of the time the complaints happen, or if it's like something that wasn't in the zoning and is not allowed, that's when it can be kind of tricky if that gets approved, mm-hmm. or I mean, if how fast it goes, the process. Yep. Okay. Um, so then, yeah, it could be a long process instead mm-hmm. of the one year that you're expecting it could end up being like two to three years just three years mm-hmm. depending on what you're asking for so you mm-hmm. kind of just have to what kind of stick it out and figure out like you know what you're going to do how the funny is going to work especially like we said inflation and all that kind of stuff takes place mm-hmm. in your project and how much you're trying to spend um, yeah and I, I would say that it helps to have some understanding and context of the kind of community that you're developing in. So if you're looking, for example, to develop a home or a development in a community where uh, 
people are really actively involved and they have uh, stood against your type of development previously. So in my neighborhood, in the city of Detroit, and, and also things matter in terms of what kind of relationships you have, um, what uh, even racial tensions and relations, all of that matters. Um, I, in my neighborhood in the city of Detroit, it neighbors uh, Groves Point, Michigan, which is a very, very wealthy suburb. And they do not like new uh, affordable or multifamily development in their community at all. They feel like that is inviting people to live there that are undesirable for their community. And knowing that you are going to have a hard time, I wouldn't even particularly try it, my opinion. Um, but there are some people and developers that have the relationship to be like, no, I'm going to fight this and I'm going to make a proposal that the community will like. So I would say do your research in terms of is this a controversial project or is this something that nobody's going to care about? And it's just going to fly under the radar and I can get my approvals and do what I need to do. So pretty much you can just wake up and be like, I'm going to, you know, develop this. You kind of have to start doing your research beforehand, stay in the community, especially if it's not a community mm -hmm. that you're in before you start, you know, creating that proposal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's more work than I mean, it already it sounds like a lot of work before. Mm -hmm. but it's like there's so much that goes into it. Um, oh, yeah. So, oh, I mean, yeah. what you do, like truly fascinates me I can go on and on asking you Aww. questions and picking out picking your brain and stuff because it's just yeah. so cool to just learn about what you're doing and just being a planner mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. you want to share one thing that you wish that you learned in high school about finance yeah um I would say uh there was one thing that I wish that I would have learned I would say it would be to really from the beginning, make those relationships with people that are doing what it is that you dream to do. I did a little bit of that, uh, but something that was really invaluable to me over these years is being a job hopper. And a lot of times that's looked at as negative. And you know what I mean, Sydney. Mm -hmm. Like people look at your LinkedIn and they're like, oh, you were only here two years. You were only here a year and a half. And I think that's changing a lot um, in terms of people are trying to, you know, as generations and time goes on, it's important to find out what you really like and not necessarily being like, oh, okay, I said I was going to be a planner and this is what I'm going to do. But my first job in Chicago, I realized I don't like to write plans. And it almost just like broke everything for me. <laughs> I was like, I literally hate sitting down and writing a chapter in a community's plan about what they want to do 10 to 20 years from now. And when I realized that, I was like, oh, shoot, like, what else is there to do within urban planning? And then I, you know, learned stuff about design and I learned stuff about grants and policy making. So that is what I would say is that you are not put on this earth to just do one thing. You can do all the things. <laughs> and, you know, 
don't think that, oh, I, I'm going to go to school to be an urban planner. I'm going to go to school to be a doctor or whatever. It's like, hey, you're going to have many talents and many things that you're interested in. And you can just pick up all of those things along the way. I, I totally agree. I mean, sticking with one job, how do you know that there's not another job that you'll like even more? It's good to just explore mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And like, you know, with like what you did, pretty much you mm -hmm. just got so much experience. So you know, like pretty much the ins and out of like everything or mostly, mm -hmm. everything, you know, so it's just like good mm -hmm. to explore and be like, okay, maybe one day I just want to do accounting or maybe yep. one day I want to be a planner. And so mm -hmm. like all that kind of stuff can work together and be something great. And you just end up building so many skills. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Never feel like you are a one trick pony, so to speak. Yes. I like that. Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today and just sharing your knowledge with everyone about, you know, the development process. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah. Thank you for having me on Sydney. I just want to say that I appreciate you guys for tuning in. So please share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you.